This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jason Barnes. Jason is the Senior Manager for Security Operations at Netscope. Thanks for chatting with me today, Jason. Hi, Thomas. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the discussion. Me too. Before we get started, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background uh, and the work you do at Netscope? Yeah, happy to. So I am security, the uh, Security Operations Center Manager here, a Senior Manager of Security Operations. And uh, yeah, I joined Netscope in June of last year. And in short order, we've we built a security operations center from the ground up, really. Prior to Netscope, I spent five years in security consulting on incident response and forensics at CrowdStrike. And then prior to that, I uh, spent uh, 10 or so years on internal security and incident response teams at various Fortune 500 companies. So I suppose at various Fortune 500 companies at CrowdStrike, you've seen a, a huge amount of Presumably, like threats, uh, you've seen the security operations world, world evolve a lot. So, how would you describe the state of security operations today, and how does it compare to a couple of years ago? That's a great question. When I started, everything we did, everything very much still in the forensics lab on disk forensics. Chain of custody was on paper. Fast forward, and you know, of course, we're all very virtual anyway. But uh, you know, now we're talking about the cloud, whether it's you know virtual labs or the evidence itself is just decentralized and isn't existing on any on-prem infrastructure at all. So I think that makes a lot of sense and is in line with just the nature of the work and that we're tracking nefarious activity in such a fast-moving space like information technology. So I think it scratches the itch for myself and others in the space who, you know, out of professional curiosity, love to see technology evolve and then evolve our skills with it in order to be able to defend those technologies. Emma, I suppose speaking of the the move to the cloud, Netscope is obviously at the forefront of that. Can you tell us a little bit, for those listeners that aren't as familiar, can you tell us a little bit about Netscope and what you do? Absolutely. So Netscope is focused on securing the, again, the decentralized enterprise. So understanding, and Netscope understood early on that the perimeter really is evolving and the traditional perimeter is really just being pushed out. And we see that now. So Netscope anticipated this and, and developed technology, uh, starting really with the CASB and then Cloud Firewall, then moving over into, you know, getting into the browser and protecting the user just at the browser, and then moving over into private access for the network instead of traditional VPN. So they're very forward thinking. They have been and continue to be to develop the technologies that are going to protect enterprises, not only now, but in the future. Right. As we continue to shift and the traditional perimeter t- continues to evaporate. Yeah, it's been very exciting watching the evolution of the company and watching you I suppose, push out new products and 
yeah, I suppose move the barrier. It's been uh, really exciting to watch. I suppose with that, you've got some incredible customers, some some joint customers with Tynes, but some incredible customers. You must, fortunately or unfortunately, they're also some of the most attacked companies on the planet. You must be able to see a lot of, yeah, sophisticated attacks, a lot of the threats that people don't see. Is there any way that you operationalize that or do you have any thoughts on, I suppose, how you can get the most out of that data? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, here at Netscope, we we also have our dedicated threat uh, labs team who are on the front lines of the the latest threats, you know, from a landscape perspective. So we are absolutely consumers of that as we are with everything internally. Uh, we operate as Netscope customer zero. So uh, the idea there is that in defending Netscope, we are really the first to you know, operationalize anything from intelligence to our own technology capabilities to defend against those threats. And ultimately, of course, the goal is to ensure that we're able to develop and, and deliver on those capabilities to our customer base. Can you tell me a little bit then about, about how the SOC or what role the SOC, you obviously manage the SOC, what role the SOC plays in that and what your responsibilities are? Yep, certainly. So, you know, here in our SOC, we are defending Netscope proper, right, as a corporation. Yeah. Uh, all the assets and the identities, everything that goes into defending an enterprise. So, you know, that's, you know, as a traditional SOC, we are doing that. And as I mentioned, as customer zero, we're also playing a part in the overall ecosystem and developing Netscope technology, but then also the overall message to the market, right? So we are using it first and then sharing those stories and those use cases and sort of how-tos, right, out to the market for the customers. So it's we do wear a lot of hats in addition to just traditional security operations. and uh, But that's a, an exciting part of it, right, is that it's a very unique opportunity to develop capabilities that really haven't been been done yet in a security operations center. Of course, and it's uh, I know working with the team, it's been incredibly exciting seeing what you do. But how do you focus that? How do you, um, I suppose, in security, but especially with your visibility, there's a lot of shiny objects that you can go after. How do you say to the team, this is what we should be focusing on? This is our biggest threat, our biggest priority. That's a great question. Yes, shiny object syndrome. We we are not. Uh, I, mean, I don't think any security operations centers. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, you know, certainly for me, coming in here and building this team. My focus was certainly on let's do a few things well, right? And not just well, but let's be excellent at a few things. And those things really are, again, the traditional security operations. So how efficient are we in thinking of a use case, whether it was born from a a threat that we're responding to or or just something proactive? Let's build an efficient use case factory so that we can think about how quickly we can roll out new capabilities from a monitoring standpoint. Number two, we need to be efficient in, as I mentioned, the feedback loop. So rolling out the progress and the uh, things that we're doing out to the field uh, so that our customers can experience the same benefits that we're developing in-house. And you know, three for me is, for us, is automation. How do we leverage automation smartly so that we can really focus our talents and passions, really, that we're all here to do? How do we focus that? Right. And on the work that we really want to do. Yeah, there's nothing worse than having extremely talented staff and having them just, yeah, copying and pasting IPs from one, uh, one dashboard to another dashboard. You're not getting the most of them. I suppose for that, can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy around automation? I know you've, you, you use it in a whole load of circumstances used for threat intel, but can you tell us maybe a little bit about how you approach that? And then also some of the use cases that you have. 
Yeah, absolutely. So our approach to automation, and we think of it also through the lens of the commonly referred to skills gap in cybersecurity, mm-hmm. it's where we look at automation as, a, as an opportunity to, you know, certainly automate the rote and menial tasks in order to save money and time, uh, mitigate risk, prevent intrusions, all of that, right? This is well talked about, right? And as it should be, because the benefits are huge. We also leverage automation to prioritize the adoption of additional capabilities or developing additional use cases in our own use of the technology. So saving time, saving money, shorten the time to respond, minimizing the dual time of a potential attacker, all of that. Plus, it allows, it frees up time for us to further develop our capabilities as a team and as as human analysts, because I fully believe that the best defense that we can invest in are skilled analysts that are free to be creative and hunt for context around the events that we're monitoring. And automation is certainly, when implemented smartly, it allows us to do that. Yeah, you get the most out of them. And you also make them happier. You get They're a lot more effective. They're able to work on the much more interesting things and sometimes the shiny objects that they actually want to focus on. I suppose when you're thinking about when you think about automation, what you're thinking about your SOC, what are some of the metrics that you're thinking about? What are some of the, there's a lot of traps, I suppose, when you're setting up metrics. It's easy to boost the number of detections or boost the number of incidents closed by automation. How do you measure, for our listeners who are, I suppose, starting out with their own SOC, how do you measure the effectiveness of your team? That's a great question. So for metrics, for us, we wanted to focus on seven primary items here. And yeah, I think first it it starts with data health. So we've got, oh gosh, I think at last count we're ingesting something around fifty billion, you know, per day, just data points, just raw data points that we're actually ingesting. And so to cutting through all that for the use cases and for the actual alerts that we're firing, you know, all of the reliability and the effectiveness of all that depends on the the health of the data feeds themselves. So we're definitely managing data feed health measuring that, but it goes beyond just is something up or down, right? It could be up, but is there a latency, right? Is Do the signals accurately reflect the timestamp of the that they represent, right? So, you know, feed health is definitely one of them. And then coverage. So certainly with coverage, we align everything with MITRE ATT&CK. So we'll keep a, a running tally of our alerts, data feed health, use cases, detection use cases, and playbooks align them with with MITRE ATT&CK to have an accurate view of of how well we're able to uh, respond to something, depending on at which stage in the framework we're looking at. Scanning and sweeping, you know, we'll, on a quarterly basis, we'll take a look and say, okay, based out of all the data points that we have here, all the monitoring points, let's do a proactive sweep across the environment. And uh, the measurements we're taking are, again, what attack tactics are we able to hunt against right now without any, you know, just assume compromise, go pull all the data and hunt through it and answer questions about, A, are we even compromised in the first place? But if not, what do our hygiene issues look like? And then that gives us something to report up and say, look, you know, here's additional improvements we can make around, you know, system configurations, just general practices and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, and on down the line, the last four to round it out, it, analyst performance, you know, just again, kind of in partnership with the analysts themselves, just having expectations that are agreed upon to say, this is the operational tempo, right? And kind of here's the expectations and it's all very open and, you know, above board so that everybody is, holds everyone accountable for the workload. And then, you know, incident handling is, you know, we 
we typically just track that against, you know, again, time to respond, mitigate, recover, eradicate, and just and so on and so forth. If it is a case of a of an intrusion, so it's a lot, right? That's word salad, but that word, it's an effective way to take all these things, distill it down into some metrics that really inform decisions and tell the story about how effective our program is. That's incredible and extremely comprehensive. For folks listening, I'll, I'll get you to shout out your. Uh... I suppose you, any handles and ways to contact you uh, at the end of the podcast. For folks listening, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, you've written an incredible blog on it, uh, netscope.com slash blog, and you'll be able to just search for uh, search for Jason and you'll be able to, to read a little bit about that framework. It's definitely worth checking out. One of the things that from working a little bit with your team that I've seen is that you're one of the most of... I'm always a little bit wary of telling people that I don't think people are doing threat intelligence right, but you're folks that I think are doing threat intelligence right. Uh, you've operationalized the ability to, I suppose, import, share, track, and uh, yeah, consume threat intelligence from a whole load of different sources and across the entire Netscope environment. And I think you've built on this using a tool that's built internally at Netscope. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it's a bear, right? I mean, threat intelligence, there's so much, right? I mean, which is great, right? Because we have sources. Overwhelming in a lot of cases. Right, all the things and just all the things right now. So yeah, lucky, I mean, I think for me is, you know, coming into this is that we happen to actually already have had in development a solution, which Nesco calls it Cloud Exchange. And Cloud Exchange was built early on to really kind of shorten the path for API connections and just sharing log data between customers and support. And and it's evolved with different modules. So there's new modules now for, you know, cloud risk exchange, so risk insights that can be transferred between the customer directly to whichever risk management platform is they leverage. So the module that I started using really quickly, and I think you're referring to is the cloud threat exchange. And Mm -hmm. so this module here is, is really the purpose is to take Threat Intel data from here and move it over here. So, you know, there are several partner organizations. CrowdStrike is definitely one of them. You know, Mimecast, all these organizations that have partnerships with Netscope to share threat intelligence back and forth. And from a product development and management perspective, that makes a lot of sense and and has been very successful. But internally, again, for me, I I wanted to use this, right? Because I'm running out of sock. So we have this tool. So we stood this up and... It basically takes, you know, threat data, whichever feeds we want, and it's connecting it with everything that we have in-house. So with integrations for our cloud workloads, our data lake, our firewall, our EDR, email security, and our own internal central intelligence repository, we're able to define the business rules within Cloud Threat Exchange to make sure that only the things that we want are going from here to there. So there's a lot to it, but essentially that's really kind of what it does, right? And you can, from a point-to-point perspective, you can choose based on the source and the destination, which things you want to go where. So you can really have granular control over what the eventual outcome is based on that ingestion. So yeah, it's been really a gift to me to uh, be able to have something like this, to have actionable intelligence where I want it to go. Yeah, and the way, well, certainly the way my, my team describe it, they just want to get it in the hands of more people so they can start using it. How does one go about getting their hands on it? It can actually be downloaded from the website. So on the community website, it's a Docker container. And really, so it's a set of modules within a Docker container. Just download it and uh, stand it up. And then, you know, certainly there's, you know, documentation in there as well to kind of walk through 
different example use cases and integrations. They're all listed there too, the different technologies that it integrates with. And, you know, and you mentioned, you know, like with your team, you know, certainly part of this whole effort for us is, you know, since we do leverage tires so, so heavily to automate our tasks here in the SOC, that's been a huge part of kind of seeing, realizing that vision of leveraging CTE here in our SOC is like everything else is just so easy to drop in and integrate with a, either an existing time story or, you know, to develop a new one. It really just made a lot of sense to, uh, you know, that those things work so well together. Yeah, it's definitely a nice partnership. And there's a, obviously, we've had a ton of happy customers, but it's uh, seeing the way you've used it. Yeah, it's just been a joy to see the team of yeah, just like moved so fast. Right. Uh, it's been really exciting. Conscious, it's I don't know. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I suppose, obviously, automation is one of the ways that you're able to get the most out of your team. But I suppose, what else are you doing to reduce the amount of time spent on manual tasks? Like those issues, those tasks that are plaguing security analysts. Is there any, I suppose, any tips for anybody that's trying to approach that? That's a good question. I think, I mean, my initial thought, I mean, I think it kind of depends on the situation, but, you know, my initial thought is really, I always think about it that it's a people problem, like everything mm-hmm. else is that, you know, even when we're dealing with technology at the end of the day, the users are still people, right? So if, you know, take, for example, if we're talking about, you know, security enablement, right, of the business. So we are operating in a business that has a sales cadre. We've got a marketing cadre. We've got HR, we've got executive staff, we've got, you know, product development. So it's understanding everyone's needs, right, from a constituency and a partnership standpoint. Again, from a leadership standpoint, from a SOC management standpoint, that's critical because not just having the relationships, but really having the understanding about how does the business work? What does execution look like? What does good look like from a business standpoint, from an operations standpoint elsewhere? That really helps on the day-to-day decisions and just overall direction of the security operations center because again, Nirvana is where security operations enables the business, right? Mm-hmm. And that impedes it. And again, shoot, with the technologies like <laughs> that we're talking about here, we have technologies that were built to enable the business. And I think then at the end of the day, it's again a people matter where just keep that in mind that use this such that it does enable the business and you know assist your constituents and partners across the business to accomplish the collective mission. Absolutely. You're always thinking, Netscape are always thinking several years in advance, right? And I know you've written a little bit about the future of security. What do you think the SOC is going to look like in the future? What do you think the SOC is going to look like five years from now? Yeah, I think the SOC will continue to get involved in architectural development and strategic development of the overall just network design. I think the SOC really should be involved in that earlier. I know, you know, we are definitely involved in the overall SASE journey, right? And so when you you think of the secure access service edge journey, right, it's a framework. And that's certainly where we're going. And we feel that that's where the market is going. So I think, yeah, for the security operations center, getting involved in those discussions early, because, you know, at the end of the day, the SOC is going to be tasked with defending it. So it makes sense when you're thinking about such a drastic shift toward the cloud and just architecturally moving away from MPLS to SD-WAN. You know, the eventuality is is that the security implications and the mission of security is still the same. It's we need to defend this. We need to ensure that we know, you know, who's using it, who's actually using it and accessing it and be able to prevent unauthorized access or, or exfiltration of data. So yeah, for me, it's the future of the SOC is being involved earlier in you know, shifts and in journeys towards overall architectural redesign. 
And it, may, it makes a lot of sense with what you said earlier as well, in regards to your metrics, check, checking coverage, checking your what you are able to attack, mapping into a framework. And I know shifting left is a very hot topic these days. How do you convince your partners in the engineering team or your partners in the product team to allow you to get involved in those decisions and not have it be reactive? Because I think that's something that a lot of security teams do struggle with that. They are brought in, but they're brought in a little bit too late. Um, or not even a little bit, like they can be brought in at the right time, but they don't prioritize it. How do you convince people to to take it seriously? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think, again, for me, it's since we're talking about people, I think it's digging into that partnership and opening up the capabilities that you have to, again, enable a lot of the mutual parts of the mission. Because at the end of the day, you know, take, for example, if we're in the SOC, if we're monitoring command line arguments to see what's encoded, for example, right? Because we happen to know that a tactic of this particular group is to encode their command line arguments over and and again, right? So we're going to decode those. So, you know, I think decoding those and if, you know, yes, this is administrative, we see that, you know, this architect or this sysadmin has this running for these purposes, right? And it's doing these things. I mean, we'll share those insights, right? And, you know, is there anything else we can learn about what you're doing here? And if so, how can we help, right? Would this be useful to you? on an ongoing basis. I think, you know, to your point about shifting left, I think it's opening up those insights to the rest of the business to not only instill trust, but because it, just by having the conversation, that really opens up a ton of opportunity that may not have been thought of unless that that sharing happened. Yeah, I also think that security is seen as a blocker to the business sometimes. So when you were saying, you know, you must enable the business, but if, you, if you're able to establish, hey, you're able to add value and you're able to say, actually, this is, we know what we're talking about and yes. like you become a much more trusted partner rather than fortunately or unfortunately that team that put some crazy antivirus and all our endpoints and slowed everything down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's important to build that trust, but it's also more important than building the trust is then yeah, being able to I suppose, add value to that organization. And that's when you'll really see that partnership blossom. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah, because everyone wants to, well, I mean, as we should, we want to rely on everyone to the left and our right and who's got our six. So I think it is important to show what you know, to demonstrate the capabilities, again, just to kind of drive that overall just loop of, of collaboration and feedback. So everybody knows who's to the left and the right of them. And, you know, everyone drives forward toward the mission. Yeah, it's also so rare to hear people talk like to hear people compliment the security team saying we're actually you are actually adding value or adding to the top line rather than just uh, having an effect on the on the bottom line. Probably uh, maybe a little bit different for a company like Netscope where security is obviously extremely important, but still uh, still definitely a good lesson to learn. So another major topic that's talked about today for security teams and especially SOC teams is burnout and mental health. At Netscope, what are some of the things you're doing to address these concerns with your security team? Now, it's an important topic, and it's certainly one that we speak openly about, right? I mean, even publicly from a thought leadership standpoint for the rest of the field. Um, but internally, we prioritize the team building activities. We prioritize the open and collaborative discussion of mental health topics. So I think, you know, being able to recognize that it's a thing, first and foremost, and, you know, hey, it's okay, right? And it's real. And <laughs> that's really kind of step one, I think, for anyone. So. And structurally, we have an outstanding support system just through the environmental and DEI committees that we have here, employee affinity groups. I founded a veterans uh, Netscope affinity group here. Being a veteran, just in understanding the specific sort of challenges that veterans may experience after transitioning to civilian life, 
So with just a support ecosystem of uh, different focus groups and things like that here at Netscope, we really do keep each other afloat, right? And then continue to push each other to, you know, just keep the dialogue going, right? And get each other what we need as far as the professional relation and connection standpoint goes. Yeah, you wrote a little bit about the veterans piece when you were at CrowdStrike, and I really admire, I suppose, normalizing the conversation around it. It's so important. Uh, and I love that, uh, yeah, that Medscope is at the forefront of that, but also that you personally have uh, have talked about it. It's, um, yeah, it's great to see. So thank you for doing that. Of course. There's a lot of folks that are, I suppose, in your position, you're in your job a year, but what's the one piece of advice you'd share with others who are like starting to lead or leading security operations teams, security operations centers at fast growing tech companies? Yeah, I think it really, it would be a couple of the points that we touched on earlier. I would just, I think, double down on those is one is focus on doing a few things really well initially. So just focus on those critical mission items cascaded down from leadership. Be aware of the shiny objects in room because they will be there. That's not to say ignore them, right? Because it's important to keep those relationships and communication channels open with solutions providers. But you can't have both, right? Focus on doing a few things while continuing to maintain the relationships and share ideas and thoughts, you know, with your with your partners across the field. Nice. Jason, that's all we're going to have time to cover today, I'm afraid. But before we wrap up, if people want to, to follow your journey or learn a little bit more, where should they go? Well, I think uh, LinkedIn is the really the best place to find me on there. So yeah, happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to any discussions. And you also have written pretty extensively on the, the Netscope blog. Yes, I have. Uh, yep, they were good enough to publish uh, several of my pieces. I do love to write. And uh, I, as much as they'll have me, you know, I've, I'll continue to do so. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love it. It's 100%, 100% worth checking out. There's a lot of great tips for, for people that are listening. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. So thank you again. And I hope to have you on again in the future. I definitely look forward to it. Thank you, Thomas, very much. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.